Blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name, blessed be the name, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to share a few things with you before we pray. Uh, today has been designated by our International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And so let's remember uh, the persecuted church in our, in our prayers. I, I put up a graphic there for you. Uh, the the, the uh, orange is very high persecution, and the red is extreme persecution. So as you can see, most of the inhabited world is under those two warnings. And uh, by the grace of God, we don't see ourselves there. But we need to pray for those who are. And uh, um, sadly, uh, maybe not sadly, I don't know, this is just the way God works. Um, you want church growth? Bring on persecution. Because it's happening in a lot of that red and a lot of that orange. And so pray for those Christians. Pray for those Christians. Um, as well as remembering that many of them give their lives for their belief. Last year, they estimate that over 5,500 were killed because of their uh, belief to follow Jesus. And those are just the ones they know of. So uh, let's, let's pray for the persecuted church. Lord God, we come before you today, and we thank you for this opportunity to worship you and in spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray that not one believer here would take for even a second would take for granted uh, the gift that we've been given to assemble freely, to uh, show you our love together as a body of Christ, to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another in the Lord, to sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs together, to listen to a message that will transform our life. Uh, Lord, everybody in that red and, and orange area in the world uh, oftentimes don't get that opportunity. And so, Lord, help us just to take advantage of this great gift you've given us today and help us to remember our sisters and brothers in Christ who suffer for their belief. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, another thing real quick, please uh, take one of these uh, blue cards, connection card, and if you're a guest with us today, please fill that out. We would love to know that you're worshiping with us today. And then one more uh, quick thing here. Um, we have a B2B23 challenge, Back to Bethlehem 2023 challenge. Uh, will people come because they see a banner along the road? Yeah. Will people come because they see our nice digital sign flashing, come to Bethlehem? Yeah. But what's the number one reason people come to an event? Because an invitation, a personal, personal invitation, better yet, say, Come with me. Matter of fact, there's a great Christmas song, Come to Bethlehem and See. But, uh, and we'll sing that later. But uh, if, if you could be that personal invite uh, to a lost friend, loved one, uh, co-worker, uh, these cards are available for you. If you see cards that are bundled in rubber bands, there are 10 of them. So the B2B23 challenge is grab one of those bundles of 10 and invite 10 people. All right, and there there are individual cards out there as well. So take as many as you need, and get the word out. Because our our promise to you is, if you will get them to Bethlehem, we will show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, so please please be, uh, do that for us. All right, hey, let's continue on as we uh, worship with this great great uh, old hymn, "Fairest Lord Jesus."
your attention to Philippians 2. We're going to read that together. But just remind you that we just sang in this great old hymn, Jesus shines brighter, Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. And you'll hear about that in just a minute. Let's read together. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father.
Great and mighty God, we recognize that you are the giver of every perfect gift. Matter of fact, you're the giver of any and everything we have in our life. It's provided by you. And so, Lord, we uh, want to thank you for that by returning to you uh, a tithe of, of what you blessed us with, Lord, financially. And, and, Lord, we just ask your blessing upon it. May it be a blessing to your kingdom. May uh, and, and, and some of this will uh, go back to that prayer we prayed. Uh, will help with people around the world who are hurting, who are suffering for the cause of Christ. And Lord, we pray for our missionaries in those countries who uh, are risking their life to tell people about Jesus Christ. And, and part of what we do today will help that effort. And we just ask your blessing upon it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
As our choir was singing, I was thinking about the gifts given to Christ a couple of years after his birth, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we think about those gifts, but I want you to think in a different light. Um, it's not like the king really needed gold, frankincense, and myrrh when you own the world. And of course, we can argue that Mary and Joseph needed it in their flight to Egypt. 
You ever thought of that? That's a possibility um, to use those to sell or whatever. But they're intensifiers, most importantly, of the value of the one being worshipped. And so I see a song like that as an intensifier of our love for our God. Good stuff. Thank y'all. Um, do you know the angels are in? They are. Um, have you ever read about angel numbering? How many of you know of angel numbers? Raise your hand. Hey, you would not want to indict yourself with that, right? What this is, is this based upon a sequence of numbers, such as they can be the same number consecutive three times, like 777. Uh, you just thought of Aaron Sachs, right? <laughs> 7777. And then there's a 5656 repetition, and then there's like just simply 321. But you can look, look this up, and the numbers like 111, 222, 333, 444, 555, they actually have an understanding for you if you see these numbers to tell you what they're representing from you, from angels to you. So basically, it's any eye-catching number sequence that helps you understand that you're not alone in this world and it could be issuing forth that a change is coming. It can be for you that you're about to get a big job promotion or you're just going to be okay in the world that you're living in because angels are speaking you to you through numbers. That's pretty sweet, isn't it? Y'all like that? Well, you know, angels have their own television shows. You've watched some of those. Angels online. There's all kinds of things you can find. And they're extolled today, and particularly in the spirituality realm. And usually that means outside of Christ in this world, you understand. They're just spiritually seeking something. And their focus usually in the spiritualism or new ageism is often on angels. Y'all do realize that's why you can be driving behind someone and you can see the Darwinian fish. You know what that is? Ichthus fish symbol is for Christians, right? But put Darwin in there and what they're saying is there's no way that God created this world. God did not create the species. It, it is through evolution. So they can have that on their bumper sticker, but yet have an angel hanging on their rearview mirror. I mean, how can this be? How can you deny the existence of God but say that angels exist? So, the writer of Hebrews is going to tell you that Jesus is better than the angels. Chapter 1, verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And then the writer is going to give you seven Old Testament quotations. Six of them will be in pairs. One of them will stand alone, Psalm 110 verse 1. And we're going to, next week we're going to do something different. I'm going to preach through those things, short, <laughs> believe it or not. And we're going to have a hymn or a song for every couplet to help us think about what it is for him to be the unique son, for him to be worshipped by angels, for him to be both God and Lord, and finally for him to be exalted where he is. He is exalted Christ. Next week we're going to do that. But for this week, I want, I want us to concentrate on this transitional verse. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The writer is emphatic in this, in the superiority of Christ. You've just been introduced to the, the major thematic word in Hebrews. It is the word superior or translated better. It's used 18 times in the New Testament. 13 of them are in Hebrews. That would tell you that that's significant. Better is the word. So I pray that you have experienced some of the beauty some of the elegance of this text in its explanation, in its exaltation of Christ. It's absolutely beautiful language. And when we wrestle the hardest, I want to remind you, when you wrestle the hardest with a passage and you think the deepest, your heart should soar the highest. That's been the goal of these words. In the last days, or many times, many 
in many ways he spoke in times past, but in these last days through his son, who is, according to this text, the heir of all things. He, is, he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God. And we just pile on this language of who Christ is. So when you get to verse 4, it is somewhat difficult grammatically. And we have to stop and think, what is the writer doing in verse 4? It almost seems out of nowhere he begins to mention angels. Why is he mentioning angels? So the best way to see this is that verse 4 is an end, a summary of what's in verses 1 through 3. But it's also a verse that propels you forward into what he's about to say. So it's important that in the book of Hebrews there's some signposts all around to help you see what's coming. And so this signpost, greater than angels, is going to be something the writer is going to take up not just for the end of chapter 1, but all of chapter 2. And so he signposts you here. He lets you know this is coming. Jesus is greater than the angels. And with more magnificent language, he's going to reveal to you why that is the case. He's a masterful writer. Whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is a masterful writer. And so he gives us a summary statement in verse 4 of 1 through 3. And then he's setting the stage to help us. So, here's the grammar. Having made purification for sins, in verse 3, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become better. So those two phrases fit together. Having made, having become better. So that's very important for you to see. When Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, he became superior to angels. When he sat down, he became better than angels. It was his exaltation... He was given an exaltation because of having made purification for sins. He sat down. Here's a better way to say it. He was shown to be better for all time than the angels. So it's important for you to keep that connection. The point of the argument is pretty obvious. The Son of God is superior to angels. The question is, why would the writer take up a conversation and or give us scripture about angels to take up not only the end of chapter 1 but all of chapter 2 to demonstrate, take all that time to demonstrate to us the reader as well as the first century readers who read it that Christ is superior to the angels. So let's think about this. There was a common understanding in that era, era of time in Judaism of what's called angel Christology. Y'all are all looking at me today. I think it's because I mentioned angels, right? That's a good thing, right? So the idea is that Jesus in his nature was an angel. That's what this belief was. So in some sects of Judaism in the first century, it was taught that Michael the archangel would be the Messiah. So some argued that the reason the writer spends all this time, or argue that he spends all this time... Is because perhaps this heresy was in that local body of believers that he was writing to. They either taught that Jesus was Michael, the archangel, or taught that the messiahship of Michael, the archangel, was perhaps coming in the future. I hope you realize that heresy never dies. It just gets regurgitated, right? It just, it just comes up in a different flavor. Uh, another idea that was going on in that day was they thought it could be just angel worship. In other words, it's not that the local church here thought that Jesus was Michael the archangel. It could just be that the believers were being tempted to go away from Christ and worship angels. Philip Hughes presents a view uh, called, that explains it this way. There was a common notion that during the future reign of Christ on earth, there would actually be two messiahs. A kingly one and a priestly Messiah. And they would rule but do so subordinate to Michael the archangel. What do y'all think about all that? Interesting, right? The problem in taking any of those positions is that the writer of Hebrews is not going to argue against angel worship. He's not arguing against angels in particular. He is going to tell you that they're inferior 
to Christ, the Son. But you would think that there would actually be some arguments in the book of Hebrews if the background of it had anything to do with one of those three things I just said. But it's not that way. They're presented as inferior to Jesus, but they're presented in a positive light in the book of Hebrews, not a negative light. So I think there's a clue. I think there's a clue right here in the Bible that tells us what's going on and the reason why the writer would bring up angels. Are you ready? Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Verse 2 is the key. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So, I think the clue is there. The word spoken by angels proved to be reliable. In other words, what came by mediation from angels to people, right? He spoke through prophets. They were the mediators. He spoke through angels. They were certainly mediators of divine truth. And what they gave us was unalterable. It was absolute truth. And to deny it or to disown it or not believe it, you would have been transgressing. How much more so should you be in peril if you neglect what the Son of God has said in salvation? Okay? So, that's the clue. But when it comes to mediators, the divine revelation, the prophets were the inspired mouthpieces of the Lord. Do you see it? Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by who? Say it. By the prophets. So the prophets were mediators for God to communicate his message to his people. To the Jewish people, who was the greatest prophet who ever lived? That's a question. Moses. I see it on your lips. Moses, right? To Jewish people, Moses was the greatest human prophet. Jewish tradition sees Moses as the ultimate spokesman for God. And we really could say that Moses really is the fountainhead of all prophetic ministry. He is the fountainhead of what all the coming prophets would actually do. We could say that Moses was actually the first in the prophetic stream or, or that, that beginning stream of prophetic ministry began with Moses. All right, you ready? Turn over to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. Isn't the Word of God fascinating? I mean, I'm enjoying this, are y'all? All right? Numbers chapter 12. Okay, here we have Aaron and Miriam. And in verse 2, they're thinking, why, why is it that God only speaks to Moses? And could he not speak through somebody else? Has he not spoken through us also? This is Aaron and Miriam and their Moses' siblings, and they're arguing about that. And verse 6. And the Lord said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak mouth to mouth. Clearly, not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak out against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Ladies, Miriam ended up with leprosy. You better be careful how you treat your brothers. Go ahead and laugh. Go ahead and laugh. That's supposed to be funny. But God gave Miriam leprosy, so be careful how you treat your brothers, okay? Notice what God says. There are prophets... Don't take that little, I'm just kidding, all right? But you do need to treat your brothers well, and your brothers treat your sisters well. Um, but, but the Lord says, I speak to Moses, I speak to other prophets in different ways, but when it comes to Moses, he's different. I speak to Moses in a different way. In my prophetic army, there's no one like Moses, mouth to mouth, face to face. 
So is everybody tracking with me? Okay. The writer will go from Christ's superiority over prophets, angels, and then he's going to return to Moses. And what is the common denominator with all of them? Chapter 3, verse 5. Don't you love this? Let's start reading in verse 3. Chapter 3, verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house. Did we read that in Numbers? As who? A servant. To testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. One was a servant in the house. One was the son over the house who built the house. He's God. So, we're going to get there one day, one year, to chapter 3. But the comparison between Jesus and angels is given because the Jewish perspective is that angels were mediators at Mount Sinai of the law of God. And they were supernatural mediators over or, or with the Lord. They dwelt in the presence of God, and they came down at Sinai to mediate when the law of God was given. Christ is better than the prophets. He's superior in his revelation. Christ is superior to Moses. He's superior in his revelation and mediation. Christ is superior to angels because he is God. He's the Son of God. What about Christ's superiority in mediation? Is there anything about that? Yeah, turn over to Stephen's real seeker-sensitive sermon with me. Chapter 7, verse 52. This would get a lot of preachers in our seeker-sensitive world thrown out of their churches if they preach this. Chapter 7 of the book of Acts. I'm still in Hebrews. Acts chapter 7. I looked down and I saw that Acts, uh, Hebrews 7 didn't have 52 verses, so I figured out I was not in the right book. Listen to Stephen's sermon, Acts 7, 52 through 53. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who receive the law as delivered by who? Angels. And did not keep it. Anybody else ever seen that in Acts 7? You have. You probably just didn't think about that in this sense of Hebrews. But here is the law of God delivered by angels. Okay? Just stay where you are for the sake of time. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. Listen to Paul. Why then the law? Question mark. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. So Paul hits upon the very same vein of thought. Paul makes a similar comment that the law was delivered by angels through agency of mediation. Where does this idea come from? That the angels actually mediated the law. I'm glad you asked. Deuteronomy 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33. You need to put your eyes on this one if you will. Deuteronomy 33. Verse 1. This is in the Old Testament. Right? Deuteronomy chapter 33. This is the blessing with which Moses the man of God blessed the people of Israel before his death. He said... The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones. All right, listen to this verse. With flaming fire at his right hand. So in speaking on the revelation at Mount Sinai, how many of you would take away from that that he was specifically talking about angels? It's kind of hard to see, right? You see holy ones, 
flaming ones at his right hand. And we could, some of us could read this all day long and think, well, what did angels have to do with mediation? Well, what Bible did Paul use? And what Bible did Stephen use? They used the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible called the Septuagint. That's what Stephen was preaching from, thinking of. And that's what Paul would have had. And the Septuagint translates that last line, on his right hand were his holy angels with him. So all Jewish translators understood that line to be a reference to angels. And so as you read the Old Testament, if you set that aside, that he brought angels with him at Sinai, who was the most recognized esteemed messenger in the Bible when they brought mediation? It was the angel of the Lord. Right? It was. So if we put those two things together, in other words... The angel of the Lord came to Samson's parents and said, this is what's going to happen. The angel of the Lord came to Daniel and said, this is what's going to happen. It was an angel from the presence of the Lord who delivered the word of God. So the writer is thinking in terms of angels and mediation and the word of God being revealed. So angels have actually one up on prophets, don't they? Why is that? Because where do they come from? From the direct presence of God. And no prophet could ever say that. So angels came from that. So, Jesus is the ultimate final revelation of God. This is the argument. And he's better than the prophets. And he's better than the angels. In his mediation. So, set aside degree. Are y'all listening? There's no question that Jesus is greater in degree. He's God. But he's also different in his kind. What he brought was fuller. What he brought was the final word. What he brought was it. And actually what he mediated to us. Are you listening? There is salvation in no other than Jesus Christ. Period. That's the final mediation. That's the word of the Lord. That's the revelation. That's why in chapter 2 verse 1, you must not move away from what the Son of God says. You can't. If you do, there's nothing but hell. There is no more word. There is no more mediation. He's the final answer. So, what is the writer going to do? Chapter 1, verse 5. Did he ever say to an angel, Here is my son. Sit here in this position. Oh, no, folks. Because there's only one in that position. He's the son of God. Did Jesus ever worship angels? Down in verse 6 or 7. No. Angels worship the Son. And then he's going to go on to say that he's immutable in his character. That God, that God actually calls the Son God. We'll see all this next week in the text. And then he's been highly exalted. So he's going to spend all this time. And he's going to give us four absolutes from the Bible to help you understand that Jesus Christ is superior. He's going to bombard us with passage after passage. With seven Old Testament quotes to teach us this. He's going to bring this argument together. In chapter 2 he's going to bring all the strings of the argument back together. And tell us listen to the Son. Therefore we must pay much closer attention. Pay attention to what you've heard. And here's the warning. Lest you drift away from it. That's what he's building to. So. What are you going to do if you neglect the words of the Son? Perhaps you've come into this place week after week. And you're rejecting the word of God regarding the Son. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm okay. But in reality, you're drifting from in-Son revelation. Which, by the way, is an act of kindness from God to even tell you what it is. He doesn't even have to do that. But remember, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. And for some of you, you've come in here week after week after week, and you're hearing in-son revelation. That is the fullest, complete revelation you're ever going to get because it is the Son of God who's been disclosed to you and revealed to you from the Word of God, and you're drifting from it. This one who is very God of very God became very man of very man without ceasing to be God and is now exalted higher than any angel could have ever thought of being given in God's created order. Why? Because he's God. 
Christ is sitting down and he's become the one who incarnate in incarnate form humbled himself to death. Even death on the cross, Philippians 2, where David brought attention to, who became the very propitiation for your sin and mine, who offered himself up on the cross to pay the penalty of our sin. Think about this. Who appeared so weak, powerless. It it looked like mangled, twisted humanity. And he was nailed to the cross without a bone probably in place, disjointed, body mingled with sweat and blood. There's nothing pretty about the cross. The old rugged cross says it this way. It's the emblem of all suffering and shame. So Christ nailed to a tree is the epitome of human weakness. But God designed it that way. God designed it that way. But in the depths of human weakness, God comes shining forth. Power, glory, by raising Christ the Son from the dead. And has exalted him to his right hand. Which if there was a higher honor, he would have it. If there was a greater crown, he would wear it. He's exalted. However, the Bible is going to tell you in chapter 2. But see him in verse 9. Who for a little while was made lower than the angels. Namely Jesus. Crowned with glory and honor. Because of the suffering of his death. So that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Wow. Wow. The king of glory who only knew total communion with his Father for all eternity, is willing to become a little lower than the angels, that he might glorify his Father and obey him, not only in his active but in his passive obedience, and he did so that he might redeem sinners like me and you. Made a little lower than the angels. Listen to the Son. Listen to what Jesus has to say in his word. All right, what is the name that he's inherited? I think that's the issue with angels. Why angels? But what about the name he has inherited? Well, most scholars land on the name is son. That's the name he has inherited. Well, immediately I began to think he's been the son for all eternity. So if he inherits the name son, it must be in a more of a a dramatic display of who he really is. In other words... It just, when, when he was exalted into heaven, then it just shone forth more clearly for us that he's always been the son, and it's more of a full disclosure of who he is. So it's possible to argue that when he was exalted into heaven, Christ resumed this dignity of the son, which he laid aside when he was made a little lower for a time than the angels. Or he became more fully the son For you to understand by what he suffered. And that's highly possible. But it's difficult for me to find that kind of reasoning from the book of Hebrews. I think. Y'all don't know what I think. What is the name that he has inherited? By the way, don't forget about inherited. He's the heir of all things. Right? He's inherited a name That is superior to the angels. So there is a connection grammatically with heir of all things. He's already the heir of all things. And then he inherits a name. So I think that the writer is thinking more of the Hebrew concept of name. Which is not necessarily a title or a moniker. Or what we might call somebody by name. In other words name in the Hebrew has to do with the essential character of the person and his relationship to who he is and what he does. His person and his work. That's what name means. Let me give you an example. Psalm 9:10. And those who know your name put their trust in you. Does that mean if I just know the name of the Lord Yahweh that I'm putting my trust in him? No. It means this. Since I know the character of the one who has the name, since I know what he's done for me, I put my trust in him. Here's another one. The name of the Lord is a strong 
Yep, you know this. The righteous run into it and they are safe. It's talking about the name, what makes up the person, his character. And that's how the Hebrews used the word name. So I think it could be son, but I also think that it could be appealing to the more excellent name of God in the broader sense. In other words, as a result of the victory of Christ, his exaltation, his exalted position and prestige, as a result of the fullness of his character and being being put on display, he's forever the God-man, right? Therefore, it is in son revelation. We're getting the whole picture of his name when it comes to his death, burial, and resurrection. Incarnation, death, burial, resurrection, uh, ascension into heaven, session where he's seated in heaven. We're getting the whole picture of who he is. Think about this. Heir of all things. He made the universe. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact representation of his essence. He upholds all things by the word of his power. And he's made purification for our sin. And he sat down. That's the full understanding. When he sat down, the fullness of who the Son of God is is forever put on display for us as believers and the world who may doubt it. So if you scan through Hebrews, do you know how many times a name is given for Jesus Christ? Can I give you a few of them? Even if you don't want them, I'm going to give them to you. Here they are. Son, God, Lord, Jesus the author of salvation, the merciful and faithful high priest, the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ, Jesus the Son of God, high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, our forerunner, better uh, mediator of a better covenant, high priest of the good things to come, Jesus author and perfector of our faith, and the great shepherd of the sheep. Y'all getting a good picture of who he is? That's his name. So, could it be that in his exaltation, the fullness of those names come together as demonstrating for us the Son as being better than the angels? He has the more excellent name because he's God, because he's the full representation the full understanding of full mediation given to us a message from God and the work of God. He has a more excellent name because he's the final and complete revelation of God. He has a more excellent name because he alone sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. There are angels in the presence of God, folks. But there's only one that is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's the Son of God. So Hebrews 1.4 and following. I'm going to land the plane. Y'all ready? Hebrews 1 and 4, 1, 4 is very important for at least two things for you today. The first one is this. It gives you ammunition to refute the belief that Jesus Christ is Michael the archangel. Just take a Jehovah Witness beginning in verse 5 and read real slowly. All right? Because you know JWs believe that, that Jesus was Michael the arch, archangel. That's what they believe. And without identifying Jesus as Lord, they're going to be in hell. That's how serious this is. Jehovah Witnesses is not another branch of Christianity. It is a cult. Alright? Mormonism is a cult. It is not another branch of Christianity. If you don't get it right with Jesus, you don't have it right at all. And you've got to be able to think, even as a Baptist. Even as a Baptist. You've got to be able to think. Show people from the Word, your Jehovah Witness friend or your relative, and say, okay, let's just start reading in verse 4. Why is the Son superior to angels? And the ultimate reason is, He's God. He made the angels. And they worship Him, not vice versa. Even Michael, the archangel, has an archangel, has enough sense to bow before the king on the throne. So that's the first reason. You need to know this. Secondly, beware of getting caught up 
in these ambiguous spirituality type things that esteems angels. Are they revealed in scriptures? Absolutely. Are they important in the work of God? You better believe it in verse 14. That's pretty awesome. You know that God sends him to work in your life because you're going to inherit salvation. As a matter of fact, he helps you. And there's no telling how many angels have been sent to spare your hide already. And you're not even aware of it. However, you don't worship angels. As a matter of fact, it's absolutely highway robbery of the glory of God for you to worship anything other than God. Period. Catholics will say in their prayers, Michael, yeah, you know this, don't you? I see, I see people responding because you maybe grew up as an altar boy. Michael, defend us in our days. That robs Jesus of glory, folks. That robs the king of his glory. You can't do that. And so I remind you, uh, I remind you of their work. But God never says praise the angels. But he does say praise the Son. Put your eyes on the Son. He's the one to be worshipped. We don't utter prayers like, Oh, Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. Our king has already won the battle. He's already accomplished it all. He's already paid it all. Don't rob Christ of his glory by thinking about worshipping angels. Don't get caught up in a generic spirituality that is devoid of Christ. Any system in this world that is devoid of Christ is devoid of salvation. It's devoid of life. Because the Bible says that I have come to give them life and it more abundantly. 1 John 5 says, he that has the Son, say it, has life. He that does not have the Son does not have life. Don't get caught up in generic spirituality that is devoid of Christ. And by all means, be radical followers. Radical worshipers of the King. He is the one who has everything you need. He's the one who has a most excellent name. In Christ alone, our hope is found. And if you're lost today, even you probably know the song Amazing Grace. John Newton, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Once was blind, but now I see. On his deathbed in 1807, he said this. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. Are y'all listening? That I'm a great sinner. And that Christ is a great Savior. Do you know that today? Or have you drifted away from it? Have you trusted in Christ only for salvation? Let's pray. Lord, I am a great sinner. And you are a great Savior. You are superior. Lord, we remember the words of A.W. Tozer. The infinite gap between you and us is infinite. But there's also an infinite gap between an angel and you. Because you are infinite. We are finite. Angels are finite. God, help us think of your transcendency and who you are. Couple that with the fact that you would leave heaven. And come down to this earth in your incarnation. So that you would bear our sins in your body. Although you were perfect without sin, you took on our sin upon yourself in order to pay that debt. And when we trust you, you give us your righteousness. God, what, a, what an exchange. Lord, only you can open our eyes for us to behold the glory of Christ. Only you can help us understand the magnitude of our sin and the glory of Jesus to save sinners. God, would you do that? Lord, for believers, help us know what we believe. Help us defend the faith. We're not, we're not saying that we should be mean-spirited, not in the least bit. But we need to be firm to stand upon your word and say, this is what the Bible says about Jesus.
God, help us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, Come Just As You Are. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you are. Come and see. Praise the Lord. Next week in the sermon, you will depend and it will be upon you in large part how long the sermon will be. Because if you don't sing during these interludes, I'm going to preach a little bit, you're going to sing. I'm going to preach a little bit more, you're going to sing. I'm going to preach a little bit more, you're going to sing. I'm going to preach a little bit more, you're going to sing. If you don't sing, we're going to do it over. <laughs> so you better get your voice ready and your mind ready and your thoughts on Christ on Saturday night. Don't burn it all day Saturday and... Come in here, meal and mouth. You are going to make an impact in the worship service on Sunday. All right? You're not going to just be a, a spectator. You're going to be a participator in worshiping. Based on what you hear about Christ, you're going to respond by singing. Just like the angels do. Without ceasing. In Revelation 5. Always before the throne of God. He deserves it. Amen? All right. I, can't, I, I got to interrupt. Because Go ahead. I'm just thinking over there. What other meeting in the world do we come to? unprepared. We just show up. Everything else we do, we, we come prepared. Come prepared for worship. Come prepared for study. Read ahead. Get ready. Yes. Read, read the Hebrews 1, 5 through 14. Read the Old Testament text. Come in here. I'm going to, again, I'm just going to tell you what that means and why the writer used it. And we're going to sing about the son being unique. We're going to sing about him worship by angels. We're going to, all right? Y'all got it? Okay. So, Elder nominations that you actually made for lay elders in our church. We have nine of them. Three of them are speaking tonight. Lang McMurray, Chris McGee, and Daniel Mayfield. All right? So, if you nominated one of them, you better be here. All right? But for the rest of you, would you please come? It's, this is so pivotal to the life of our church. Uh, for the next three Sunday nights, they will speak. Three, three, three. Huh. Angels. There we go. Numbers. Right? No, kidding. So, uh, they're, they're going to speak on these nights and on Sunday evenings, 5, 12, 19th of November. So please come tonight. Here's the second thing. We need more deacons. So the, what this means is we have about 19 or 20. There are 300 families in our church. The pastor's desire and our elder desire is that every family in our church have a deacon. It's called the Deacon Family Ministry Plan. Right now, one deacon would have about 15 or 16 families that he would check on throughout a month. 
this is going to be such a blessing from our church, for our church. But I just say this because some of you could be a member and you were not a member long enough in order to be rec- recommended as a deacon. You've got to be a member a year, okay? So maybe that's happened. Or maybe some of you prayed about this or some of you know of someone that would be a good servant for us in the deacon realm and you can nominate them. I'm going to give you to the end of November, all right? So pray about this again. We would love to have 25, maybe 30. But that doesn't mean you just throw a name out there that you hadn't prayed about. It doesn't mean that you don't read what the qualifications of a deacon is before you give us a recommendation, okay? We're just feeling like this is the best way to present to our church family what we need, okay? So, you got to the end of November. All right. As minister of announcements, I'm done, all right? Uh, Tonight, be back for elder uh, speaking, and we look forward to seeing you. God bless you. God bless you today. Remember to pick up your uh, Back to Bethlehem Challenge invite cards. God bless.